Good evening, everyone. Now, to all of you who were listening to the show probably about uh, an hour and a half ago, two hours ago, I have to deeply apologise. I said we'll be back in 10 minutes, be a little bit longer than 10 minutes. But, you know, we've got Phil here in the studio, which is really, really cool. And as promised, it has been a bit of a double whammy today, which is great. So, Phil, just say hi to us. It's great to have you here. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. No, likewise, it's great to have you here. And thank you so much for kind of coming on for, you know, quite short notice, you know, uh, fitting this into your pretty busy schedule this evening. So. Um, it's great to have you here. So, Phil, obviously you're an OB, which is, you know, why we're kind of here with the OB podcast, which is great. So you were here at Bryanston. Um, talk to us when you were here and kind of your a little bit about your experience coming and why you chose Bryanston. Yeah, so I was, I left, I don't know when I came, but I suppose it's minus five years. I left in 2014. So I suppose I arrived in 20, uh, 2009. And I had a bit of a weird, so I'm the youngest of five siblings. And all my other ki- um, siblings went to kind of other other schools. Eton, Radley, some Ray's Ascot. And as the youngest of five, I think my, my parents were kind of fed up a bit. And they were like, look, you choose a school and you go there. So I literally looked around about 15 schools. And I just think when I looked around Bryanston, I really liked the idea of it. So I decided to come here and was very happy here. Absolutely. I can imagine your parents, you know, they've kind of been through the process quite a few times. So <laughs> yeah, they couldn't be imagine. bothered to look around any more open days. <laughs> sure, like, seen, you choose. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> So kind of coming in, where did you kind of come from as a prep school? Was it quite a small prep school? Was it quite a big change kind of coming? Um, no, it was, I actually think, so I went to Windlesham, which is in Sussex mm. near to where I live. So it's quite far away, about an hour and a half. But I really think that Windlesham is like a mini Bryanston. It's kind of, the the buildings look the same and it's kind of similar ethos of like relax, but actually, you know, get stuff done, do work hard. But, you know, actually you can explore your creative side. You can have like a good time. It's not like example no big dress codes and all that kind of stuff which Bryanston I don't know if still has no not there really no. No, there you go yeah. <laughs> there you, go, you yeah, kind of get away with what you want the yeah, Bryanston, yeah. <laughs> um and kind of coming to Bryanston did you well kind of well as you can see actually on your on your left actually here in the studio we've kind of got a, a few faces up on the wall from um, a couple other um of our of our series is here on Bry Radio. Um, is there any kind of, as you, well, now that you've left Bryce, there any kind of like teachers that stick out and that you remember significantly that had a huge yeah, part I'd say, in your I'd say Mr. Mr. Bolton was, who was a housemaster at Portman, um, was probably like the major one. He he was pretty, pretty good fun, especially because he joined, he was became housemaster when we went into lower sixth and then upper sixth. And he was quite, he was quite good fun. He was like stern when he needs to be, but he was quite relaxed when everyone was being quite well behaved. So that was pretty good. And then I also remember... I'm going to forget his name, but he was a biology teacher. I think it was called Dr. Heal. And he was just, I mean, as I, you know, I love zoology. I love animals. I love nature. So him as being a biology teacher was pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. And what, one of the things that I believe, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, um, that even twines quite nicely is the idea of kind of business and a little bit of biology and that kind of conservation. So um, as you were here at school, did you, did those kind of subjects interest you then? Or is it only really that you've left since you've left school that they've interested you? No, biology definitely always. I mean, I, I always come as it from like an animal aspect instead of like, you know, I don't really like cellular biology, but that's obviously part of biology here. But no, I think biology was something that I always was interested in here and definitely got a passion for whilst I was here. Absolutely. So biology was probably, was that one of your sixth form subjects? Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was my main, main subject. And absolutely. So kind of coming into Bryanston, was that still something you were really kind of passionate about? Or did you find that as you were find that out as you were here at Bryanston? Um, I'd say a bit of both. So I started, I actually started a small zoo whilst I was here, not at Bryanston, but at home. And it was very like allowed from Bryanston for me to go and run that zoo because obviously it was quite good and I needed to do it. When I say zoo, it was more like farmyard animals, you know, rabbits, guinea pigs, hit, um, pigs, sheep, goats, ducks, that kind of stuff. 
the main kind of fun animal we had was meerkats. So oh, we had cool. we had meerkats when I was about fourteen to eighteen. Um, so I ran the zoo at home while also also being here. Really? So what kind of inspired you to take that initiative? I mean, t- running a zoo is a huge <laughs> deal. I can imagine even if it's you know just farm your pets. I mean, I guess your their lives are kind of in your hands in a way. Your yeah. Well, luckily we had a really good. Um, I mean, I'm not going to call her a zookeeper, but person who looked after the animals uh, because she just did she did absolutely everything other than look after the, uh, and look after the animals. And luckily we had that kind of that problem solved. But yeah, it was just a really awesome experience, and I love doing it. Absolutely. So, are you, was it just kind of you and and your kind of I don't want to say Zuki? Yeah, but you know, Zuki, but yes, you know, yeah, yeah, no, it was. It was just us two. So I would spend Duke, a lot yeah. of weekends um, home. So you know, obviously when there's in weekends here, I would kind of just sneak off and be fine, and no one would go under the radar. And because obviously it needed running and it needed, you know, the business side of it, but obviously also the, the caring of the animals. And I couldn't make this poor zookeeper work all day, every day. Yeah, <laughs> I need to relieve myself. A bit of yeah. a, you know, taking give, right? Yeah. And obviously, Bryanson, I assume, as you said, that they were pretty, they, they received it quite well. Yeah. Um, is that right? So, um, what did you, what kind of process did you have to go through to um, allow this to be possible? Um, I suppose I kind of just spoke to my, you know, teachers and spoke to, my head of house, who at that time was, it was a bit of Mr. Bolton, also, um, what's his name? Long time ago, 10 years, you know? Goes quickly. Ian, his name was Ian, but I can't remember his. Haslop. There you go. Haslop. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, right. Haslam, Haslam. Haslam. Sorry. <laughs> it's a long time ago. Anyway, and he was very understanding. So, yeah, I just kind of said, look, I've got to be away for these weekends. I'm really sorry about that because I'm weekends and, you know, the odd lessons and stuff, I will make it up, but I'm afraid, like, luckily I'm not very sporty. So my sports skills are pretty woeful. So luckily, I didn't have any sports teachers being like, get back in the team, because I was pretty bad at all <laughs> Yeah, right. So it's yeah. a little bit of a weight off your shoulders. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And kind of in terms of like the managing of this zoo at that kind of young age, right, that teenage age, what, what did you have to do? Was it kind of like, was it like a feeding process? Or like, I don't know, it's not like taking them out for a walk. <laughs> I don't really know how it well, would work. I mean, it was, yeah, it was definitely like the feeding and the looking after and the mucking out and sorting out the actual care of the animals. But what I kind of, thrived off and learned a lot about was actually running the business side, trying to get more customers in, trying to, you know, actually boring logistics, like where do people park? What happens if, you know, the lose facilities, all that stuff was actually such a, nothing you think about when you just want to open a fun zoo. Mm. You actually have to think about all this kind of boring stuff, but I actually kind of quite enjoyed that, the business side of it. And I also inside the, like enjoyed the growing part of it. So I'd often say, I'd often like come home with like another chicken or another, another thing to be like, here we go, let's add it to the menagerie, you know? Yeah, totally. So in terms of like the business, was that um, was that all your idea or did you kind of have like a shared hand in that as well? Or And how was like the marketing? How, how did you kind of yeah, get so, the message out there as so well? So the business was all pretty much all me. And yeah. I think it's a shame that it was all me because I was 15, 16, 17, didn't really know what I was doing. And so we had about 40,000 customers over those years. Wow. But we only charged a pound per person. So it's 40,000 thousand pounds but we need a lot more to run you know it's expensive yeah, it's, all the feed and especially having meerkats they need you know a lot of special care and a, you know strict diet and all that stuff stuff so unfortunately financially it didn't work out but i think now if i was able to run it again i think i don't think i would have made money but i think i could have made it break even and therefore mm. we could have kept it going absolutely so financially was it a little bit challenging to kind of maintain that business idea at that age yeah it definitely was challenging but i think it was always done for it to break even it wasn't like let's go make money it was like yeah. I, these animals are awesome i love looking after them we need to start funding for looking after them right it was a so kind of like the a fact, take profit kind exactly. of yeah so the fact that we didn't quite get there was a disappointment but also i was going off to university 
I was going off to kind of live my life and the zoo unfortunately wasn't gonna be able to come with me yeah so right. it was kind of actually a natural end of you know that we, we we kept a lot of the animals that we could the more um exotic animals we managed to find all lovely homes so it oh, kind of it did end it did end well oh, okay so it was a you know disastrous yeah, you know, disaster. catastrophe no, no that's good that's great um and kind of on the university theme actually so leaving Bryanston, talk to us a little bit about you know your choices your journey your kind of strategy yeah. leaving school so I probably did the most like classic thing you can possibly do is do a ski season and then go to Thailand. Uh, <laughs> Very <laughs> so, gap year, like yeah, that's so yeah, cool, proper, proper gap year stuff. Uh, but no, I loved I loved that, and you know it was really good fun. And then went to Leeds, which I absolutely loved, and I actually started doing business management, which I just really didn't enjoy. It really? wasn't me. It was a little bit. I mean, a lot of people love business management. I'm not hating on anyone does, but I just did not like it. And so I then decided to swap to zoology, which I instantly just thought was so much more fun really? really enjoyed it yeah absolutely so kind of although so you've managed to intertwine kind of business and that kind of zoology aspect so despite the fact that you hated it how comes you kind of persevered with it in the long run well I suppose that business management is not the same as running a business mm. I'd say and I think that economics and there's loads of cool courses you can do but my I mean technically my course was just management and I just felt that it was the theory of how you manage people is incredibly dull right right <laughs> so i just i that's why i thought zoology is a passion it's lovely it's epic and actually i can learn how to manage people when i do it myself not have some lecturer tell me how to do it when he's just lecturing me if that makes sense yeah totally and kind of similar to was it sim well was your university situation similar to school in that did you kind of open any kind of side um you know avenue in terms of business venture or was it um, all kind of focusing on the course it was folks i mean leeds is a quite a hectic city it's quite a fun city, but I was focusing on my course and having fun at Leeds. Yeah, it's difficult to do much other than that at Leeds. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and kind of, well, leaving university, did you, uh, what was your intention at that point after kind of graduating, getting your, you know, you know, degree in zoology, what kind of followed from there? So, yeah, after I left, sorry, you're saying after I left university. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. What followed? Yeah, so after I left university, so while I was um, at Leeds, I did some really cool, field trips, some to like Wales and um, Yorkshire, North Yorkshire Moors, and they were kind of fine, but the one I really loved is South Africa, so I did like a training oh, wow. experience in South Africa, which was amazing. So after I left, I basically trained to become a safari guide in Botswana, right? which was incredible, but I kind of learned when I was there that I didn't want to become a safari guide, um, mainly for the reason that they don't want you. <laughs> oh, seriously? <laughs> well, I think the thing is, is there's so many people obviously from these areas that have far more knowledge than mm -hmm. I'm ever going to have. And you want that authentic experience. You know, safaris are incredibly expensive things. Yeah. And suddenly, you're, you know, you pay two grand to be somewhere and you turn around. I'm like, hi, I'm Phil from Sussex. They're a little bit like, well, I kind of want a local. Who's yeah. Who's yeah, me around. So, authentic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I loved, I loved the experience, but I knew when I was out there that I wasn't going to become a safari guide. But I knew that I wanted to be some way involved in, in ecotourism or in, yes, conservation and, and nature. So how, like, as in going out there and training to kind of, what, what, what was the training experience like to kind of get that experience and, you know, train to be a safari, safari guide? Yeah, yeah, safari guide. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was pretty intense. So we were literally in the middle of nowhere. And when I mean the middle of nowhere, we were about a three and a half hour drive to a town and that town had about 100 people in. So we were really, and there was just about seven of us on the course, two guides and then three or four kind of cooks and stuff and you know staff to help them make sure the camp actually ran <laughs> uh runs and 
so yeah, it was it was really intense. I mean, I got charged by a by an elephant on foot. I got um, leopard outside my tent at night. Like it was pretty scary stuff, but it was it was an amazing experience. Can you describe like what I mean? That I mean that does sound pretty like yeah. you know first time <laughs> scary. So can you describe like an experience that you know that I guess really kind of kept you on your toes? What really kind of put the yes. fear in you in terms of an encounter with animal any animals or yeah, so it all quite quite. It was all pretty scary. No, it was all pretty scary. But one would definitely be the being charged by an elephant at night. So we had our kind of main tent, and then we'd walk. We each had individual tents. We were pretty small, you know. Literally, you'd just, you'd just sleep one person and a kind of bedside table, and that was pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And after each training session, you know, you have you have a couple of beers, you relax by a fire, and I was walking home back by myself. An elephant, young kind of bull, about kind of thirteen. So they're kind of in their kind of teenage years. They're quite boisterous. They're yeah, a bit right. stupid. They're like that kind of age. And he just came out of nowhere and just charged me. And the one thing we'd always been taught from day one is in in the wilderness, you never run. Because if you run, they'll come after you. Really? So luckily I had a bit of beer in me to be like, <laughs> right, let's charge back. So I just ran full on steam at this elephant and it ran at me. And thank God at the last kind of like 15 metres, it then, it then ran away. Really? Yeah. Do you reckon it would have been a different story if you ran away, or? I think it would have been. I think I would have probably got away because I could have run to another tent. But I think if I had run away, it would have carried on charging me. Really? Yeah. Seriously? And kind of in terms of like that situation right there, uh, I'm not quite sure on like the statistics, but uh, elephants prone? Are they quite used to being? Is that quite? You know, I suppose what I'm saying is, are they quite dangerous naturally, or? They're incredibly they... dangerous naturally. The thing is with elephants is that, especially those young boys, they they are very boisterous. So I been around them enough to know kind of what they were doing so for example if an elephant has its ears back and no noise and charges at you get out of the way because it's not stopping but if an elephant is making a lot of noise flapping its ears it's mock charging so it's trying to look big but it has no intention of actually coming for you oh right so you can so kind of sense these signals. you can sense the situation yeah exactly you can sense the situation yeah of course and going out to botswana i mean find that super interesting kind of going to a different continent entirely to like learn you know kind of get first-hand experience in that mm-hmm. kind of you know field was that a huge culture shock for you? Was that quite challenging going out to Botswana? Yeah, the UK? no, it definitely was. I mean, I'd been I'd been to Southern Africa before, but I'd very much been on like a holiday where you see like you know it's beautiful and it's sunny and you're waist on hand and foot. So this was you know proper culture shock of you know living with you know those farmers next door who you know live in mud huts and stuff and you had but you got along with them really well. That was a very interesting, you know, culture shock for me. And what was also really cool about the course that we did is for every six people that did it, who paid for the course, they had two people who were funded for, for free. So they were proper, you know, got one of locals mm. and getting to, and obviously for over a month, you really get to become friends with these people. They're yeah. really, you know, you really like them, but you come from completely opposite, you know, worlds. Yeah, of course. That was really awesome. That is so cool. So there are quite a lot of like charity, you know, giving back kind of aspect to it as well. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely didn't go there as a, in thinking I'm going to be charitable by doing this, mm. but I just, it, it, I wouldn't say it was charitable, I'd say that it just opened my eyes to a world that I knew nothing about. Yeah, and kind of coming away from that kind of month-long, you know, process and, you know, learning the skills that you did and perhaps thinking, right, this isn't exactly for me. Mm-hmm. Um, what was you, would you say, like, was the biggest skill you kind of took back from that? That's a good question. Um, I'd say... I'd say kind of actually I'd say like resilience of being fine because it was you know it was yeah five it was a month to six weeks I can't really remember but it was you know living with no wi-fi no internet and I know that sounds like oh poor me but it was you know it's tough and I would speak to your family for six weeks and you are living in proper wilderness you're you're you know often sleeping under the stars you're up at 5am every morning 
So I'd say resilience was probably the main thing. Though, of course, yeah, completely, yeah, completely different environment. That's great. And then, um, kind of coming back from Botswana, what was your kind of next move from there? What do you think? Right, I've I've now done this. It's now time for me to try this instead. What What were you thinking at that time? So I still knew I wanted to work in the sphere of African nature and I suppose ecotourism. So that's why I started working for Audley Travel, which is a luxury travel company, and I specialised in Southern Africa sell you know basically safari trips mm. to southern africa and that's kind of what i started doing but then sadly covid hit so i was yeah. redundant. so oh so that was kind of you were working short for an yeah. right okay absolutely and then through covid and that kind of lockdown period um how did your plans change i suppose yeah so that's when i then started the business that i now run fauna brewing so that's when i kind of combined my two great loves of kind of wildlife african nature and I mean, everyone loves a beer, so, and beer. <laughs> oh, cool. So, yeah. so you've kind of intertwined beer and kind of, you know, eco, eco yeah. bits and pieces, is that right? Exactly, so, yeah, yeah. Um, so kind of developing on that, what, I mean, can you maybe talk a little bit more about what exactly like the business yeah, does? Yeah, yeah, The day-to-day life of it, if that makes sense. So, yeah, so Fauna Brewing, we're an ethical beer brand where we're inspired by nature and conservation. So each of our beers is named after an endangered species, and we then partner with charities to give some of our money back. So... Cheetah Lager supports cheetah conservation, wild dog, wild dog conservation, and so on. Basically, right, yeah. absolutely. And is there kind of like one that, well, what led you to choose those specific endangered animals to be a part of your brand? So the main reason behind the ones we chose is I wanted to choose animals that were less were less known. I didn't want to choose, you know, tiger, lion, elephant. And also I had to remember that, for example, tigers are a massive beer brand, so you can't start competing with them because you're going to get sued. So I wanted to start using animals that are less known. I mean, not many people know about pangolins. Not many people know about wild dogs. Everyone does know about cheetahs, but not many people know there's only 7,000 left in the world. So it's all about kind of, one, we wanted to raise funds, but also we wanted to raise awareness for these endangered species. And what kind of brought you to the beer aspect of it? Is it just because you perhaps liked beer? Or is it, like did you a, see a niche in the market? I or? like a beer. No, um, <laughs> to be fair, I mean, it is almost as simple as saying I like beer. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely saw a gap in the market for simple beers done well. I think the beer market was very co- overcomplicated at the time. It still is overcomplicated, I think. So we wanted to do simple beers done well, as we say. And also that kind of ethical start, stance, I thought a lot of other spirits brands have done it. There's Elephant Gin, which is very, very successful. And there's other brands that have got this ethical standpoint, but they don't have one in beer. That was the, the main choice for beer. Yeah, right, absolutely. Well, it's quite nice that it is almost, it draws back to being almost, not quite as simple as the fact that, you know, you really like beer. Yeah, so it's no, exactly. coming from a bit of a passion, I think, yeah. you know, with uh, businesses, that's always a good thing, isn't it? So, and in terms of competition, how difficult was like the startup of that business, especially in a period of COVID? What was that like? Yeah, very hard. I mean, it still is very hard. Like, I'm not going to say I'm successful at any stretch. For Fauness, you know, my business still loses money every month. We're a startup, you know, we'll get there. I'm positive, but... It's it's tricky um, at the moment. So, yeah, I mean, beer's always been incredibly saturated market. There's so many brands because everyone kind of fantasizes it. That's such a dreamy, amazing job. And I suppose it is for some people. Like it is great and it's really fun. But there's too many. There's too many brewers for the amount of um, the amount of beer that needs to be sold. I think 80 breweries went bankrupt this this year. So it's it's going to be a tough few years for brewers. Yeah, absolutely. And can you see it? Can you envision it getting a little bit better kind of, you know, as you perhaps, you know, grow and then perhaps the market stabilizes a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of things need to change um, for that. So we'll have to wait and see. But the cost prices are going mega. People are drinking less beer. So it's going to it's going to be tough. People are need to gonna 
going to have to change their mindset and change the way they run their businesses. But that's also how really cool businesses are created. So, you know, when it's times of boom, pretty boring businesses do well. Yeah. So actually, when it's times of tough, more interesting businesses do well. So, yeah, it's interesting. And Phil, I know you've got um, a really kind of cool plan. You have to talk me through a little bit of how you want to save. Is it three... Three animals? Is that is that something? You... Yes, yeah, yeah. So that is the beer brand. Yes, right. So, so, so the chief. So, so the beer um, is a kind of vehicle to help save the conservation of those animals. So each beer we partner with a charity. So for example, the, the cheetah we we partner with Cheetah Conservation Fund, Wild Dog, Wild Dog Fund, and Pangolin Fund, and we give money through our beer sales, but also we raise money through events. Yeah. So we wanted to say ten percent of profits. We don't make any profits yet, but we will. But so at the moment we do um, wildlife photography art exhibitions we do fun runs in the park and that way we kind of really bring the communities together people talk about the um the the con the topic of, of um conservation and then you know we can actually raise more money than just saying 10 percent of profits when we don't make any money yet yeah absolutely and that you know these are as you said they're quite perhaps less known species mm -hmm. like you know endangered species but in terms of you know ideally when that goal is met you know you're able to save these three mm -hmm. um kind of these three endangered animals how will that how will that process work is that like going out and retrieving how, how, how so, so that is that is basically funding these charities that we work with yeah so the more money we can raise the more we can do the more we can fund projects that are saving these animals so mm -hmm. That's the kind of how we work with them. Right, absolutely. That's cool. Um, and Phil, in terms of like what's next, I suppose, um, I'm conscious I know you've got, you're, you're giving a talk to yes. everyone pretty soon, actually. <laughs> so uh, I'll aim to wrap it up pretty shortly. But um, in terms of, you know, what's next for you and in terms of the business, so ideally, you know, say looking like 10 years down the mm -hmm. line, where would you like to be ideally in a position of? Yeah, so where I see the business, so I think too many beer brands try and focus on supermarkets, big sales and stuff like that. We don't do that. We try and stay local and try and stay in pubs, bottle shops and, you know, hotels, whatever it may be. We don't like to be mass sold. So the dream of mine would be to open more pubs. We currently have one, uh, which is tied to the brewery, but we'd like to open more venues that they're not going to be your quintessential English pub. They're going to be more like a field, a field with a beautiful sunset with a load of deck chairs that we sell beer from, that kind of thing. So I'd like to open more sites that are kind of new environments for drinking, I guess. And that would be the dream. Yeah, absolutely. That's well, what a great kind of passion, what a great story. I think that's so cool. Sadly, we kind of have probably about half the time of what we usually have. Um, so I apologize that it's been so kind of rushed, but Phil, what a great story you have. You know, I wish you all the best. That's what a, what a great venture you're kind of hosting and you know you've initiated, which is great. So, Phil, it's great to meet you and um, thank you so much for your time. But one final question before we go, if that's all right. So, keeping it back to Bryanston, so one quick question, uh, and the final one this evening is. So for Bryanston students, what would your one piece or like your biggest piece of advice, which is a bit of a cliche, kind of question. Um, okay. But yeah, I'm just interested to hear what you think. Yeah. Um, I would say, and something that maybe I didn't do, would be there's so many epic like resources and you have such a big freedom that I think you don't have at other schools here. So I'd say like be able to like grasp that and, and you know, go and try everything out once. You know, you probably won't like everything, but just mm. try it out at least once. Just grasp the opportunities. Yeah. And play fives, that would be my other one. Play fives. Play fives. Oh, I, love, I love fives. <laughs> <laughs> you talking from experience? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, was, right. I played fives. I was, again, I was bad at it, but play fives. Fives veteran, that's yeah. cool. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, it's great to have you on, and I wish you all the best. And, uh, Cheers. To that's everyone out there, uh, have a great Easter holidays. So this will be our last AB podcast before the Easter holidays, and we'll be back in probably just over a month, actually, which is great. So um out there to everyone out there listening thank you very much for tuning in and uh, we'll see you after easter thank you